0: Perhaps you've said it before a long time ago as a child and may not even remember it. You may have actually said it quite a few times. If you travel with your children, perhaps going on a vacation, you've likely heard it a few times too. Even a two-hour journey may elicit that question. Are we there yet? That's the question. The kids get tired of sitting in the car. They know you are not yet at your destination, but they wish you were. Even when they have toys to play with, even if you distract them in some way, that question you have not taught them to ask eventually comes up. Are we there yet? When it comes to the return of Jesus Christ, that is the unspoken question on our minds, or a form of it anyway. When? When is it going to come? At least I hope that is the question on our minds. We are Christians, followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and even though we may not be in a hurry for the last day to come, it should never be far away from our minds. We do not see it, but we should live as if it is just around the corner. We should always be thinking the day is almost here, even though we do not know when that day is. We should be hoping that it will come soon. If we lose that hope, then we might as well say and do anything we want. In that case, it will be as if Jesus never came to this earth in the first place. But we cannot deny that he did. We know he did. It took a long time for Christ's first coming Nobody knows how long it took, but if we take our minds back to the first time God made the promise to Adam and Eve that their offspring would come and he would crush the head of the accuser and deceiver, we would know it took a long time. It was a promise God made before the whole world was destroyed by the flood at the time of Noah when only eight people were left in the world. After the world was repopulated with people and people continued to forget God's promise and, in fact, worshiped created things, God did not forget his promise. When the time was right, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, in fulfillment of that promise. We know Jesus lived for the world, including for us. We know he died for the world, including for us. We know he rose again from the dead for the world, including for us. He crushed the head of the accuser and deceiver, not for his own sake, but for the world, for you and for me. And he made a promise that he will come again. That will be his second coming. That's a certainty. It will happen suddenly. During the Advent season, we remember his first coming and look forward to his second coming. It is a guarantee that he will come. And that second coming will be final. We will get to see him with our own eyes, finally. Each of us will get to see him and we will recognize him even though we have never laid eyes on him before. So will the whole world. Everybody in the world will see him. When we and other Christians see him, our joy in him will be complete. We will not engage in speculation anymore. Now I'm making no predictions as to the timing of his return, but we should live even now as if we can see him. We should live as if the day is almost here. That is not to say we can live in a way so as to earn his love for us. There is no way Anyone else can work their way into the good graces of God and by so doing, earn a place with Jesus when he returns. He has already done that for us through his unlimited love. But there is also no way we can say that because he had cleared us of any wrongdoing on our part, we can live to please only ourselves. It is tempting to look to our own interests first and always, But Christ says no, that's not the way it should be. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to do that not only when it is easy to do so because we are sure we will receive love back, but also when it is difficult, when there is no guarantee that our love will be reciprocated. Paul says there should not be any outstanding debt that we owe except the continuing debt to love one another. Over and over again, God urges believers to love one another. Jesus told the disciples that he was giving them a new commandment. That commandment is to love one another. Yet his commandment to love is not restricted to only those who believe in him, but to our neighbors as well. Love your neighbor as yourself, he said. No doubt that can sometimes be difficult. But he has not called us to love only those who are easy for us to love. People may annoy us, but we should still love them because love is sacrificial. Jesus came into this world because he loved the world and did not want anyone to spend eternity with God. His love is perfectly sacrificial and saves people from eternal separation from God. He calls us to love. Although our love can never save anybody from spending eternity away from him, our love will reflect his perfect love because it is him we follow. The Apostle John says we love because he first loved us. Paul writes that if we love our fellow human beings, we have fulfilled the law. It does not mean that by our own actions, we have entered into the state of having fulfilled the law or accomplished a final doing of it. Love is ongoing. Now we do not love out of fear or guilt. We do not love thinking that we risk God's punishment if we fail. We love out of gratitude to him for what he has done for us. As John says, there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. If we love out of fear of punishment, then what we are doing Is not love. We love in response to his love for us and then out of love for others. Paul also calls on us to be awake and not to take God's love for us as a license to do whatever our hearts desire, to live however we want, as if the very things he has saved us from do not matter anymore. We cannot set our own standards. The standards are set by him. The nearness of the day when we will see the fullness of our salvation should spare us to godly living, but that should certainly not be the exclusive motivation for godly living. That day is in some way already present because it has been ushered in by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Rather than relying primarily on a future day to spare us on Paul's exhortations are more strongly based upon the fact that we already now live in the time inaugurated by Christ's first coming, but we also look forward to that day when he will return. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It is not to make you doubt that you already have salvation, because you do. You believe in the good news about Jesus Christ, you have salvation. The salvation that is nearer is the final deliverance from sin and death so we have salvation now but not in the way things will be when jesus returns we should always look forward to that final day no matter what happens to us whether our life is good or not so good or actually bad this final salvation is also the general resurrection on the last day for now We still live in the present age of darkness, sin, and death. It is as if we live in the night, but the night has advanced far and nearest its end, even though it still remains. So the day is not yet, but every day it gets closer. So we can say the day is almost here, and we live as if we can see it. We have already now die to sin and have been raised to new life through, through baptism into Christ. Therefore, we are not to fall back into sin or sleep. It is always the right time to be a Christian, to clothe ourselves with the garment that Christ has given to us. The day is almost here. In verse 13 of our text, Paul writes, Let us behave decently as in the daytime, Some early Christians recognized behaving decently as public square behavior. One wrote, let us behave as if we were constantly in the public eye. Another wrote, the light of day keeps everyone from doing what he would freely do at night. Their observations seem less applicable today because our civilization is advanced today. It doesn't matter what time of day it is, people are emboldened to behave indecently and call it natural behavior. More and more, shame is not a deterrent. People flaunt all kinds of behaviors that the Bible would call wickedness. For all to see, it is celebrated. It is celebrated more openly, even by those who insist that they are Christians, Aside, so long as they are against the will of God. They don't have to be specifically the things he's listed in our text. They don't have to be things only things done publicly, but even things done privately must be deemed decent if someone sees them. They must be in accordance with the will of God. Paul has shown us a way out. He said, rather, clothe yourselves with Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is your clothing. How does this happen? Through baptism. Since you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, you must remember it. It has been given to you, so you must go back to it again and again. You don't need a new baptism every time you find yourself sliding into the darkness of sin. If you struggle with sin, as all Christians do, don't think that Christ has forsaken you or that he has no power to rescue you. He is always inviting you to come. And drown the works that threaten to derail you from the faith. And he will bring you up from the depth, washed, made clean. Because the day is not fully here, this will have to happen over and over again. But do not throw your hands up in the, in the air in despair. God is not tired of hearing you or forgiving you. He is always eager to hear from you and always eager to forgive you. He will do it because the day is... Is almost here and he wants to keep you as a member of his family forever that day will come according to his promise it will happen the only way it would not happen is if everything he came to do and finish was all for nothing the only way it will fail to arrive is if he made a false promise the only way it will not happen is if he did not know what he was talking about God He's so kind and gracious to you. He has said that you died with Christ. Christ died for your sins, and he took you along with him. He was buried for your sins, and Paul says you were buried with him. You died, and you were buried with the Son of God. Paul doesn't leave it at that. He says Christ was raised from the dead, Paul said you were raised with him. Christ has done everything that needs to be done for you to live with him forever. And so, as children of God, when we ask, are we there yet? His answer is almost. It gets nearer and nearer every day. Your joy will be complete when you finally see him. It will be filled with endless joy for you. Amen. Amen.